Now turn to God's holy word for our instruction. We turn first of all to the book of Psalms, or the book of praises, and it is in the Hebrew, Psalm 11. The Psalms are called the book of praises in the Hebrew because the Psalms were sung in the praise of Almighty God. So the Psalm 11, our Old Testament reading, and then we'll come for a New Testament reading in a moment. Let us hear the word of God. Word of Almighty God. To the chief musician, the psalm of David. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundation be destroyed... What can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. Amen. We now turn to the New Testament, to the epistle of 1 John, chapter 2. Reading verse 1 to the verse 17 of 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby... We do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk, even as he Walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith, He is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you. For his name's sake, 
I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you. Ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord be pleased to bless that public reading of his most holy, infallible, inerrant, and sacred word to our hearts here this night and all for the glory of his name. Let us pray. Dear friends, I'd like to turn your prayerful attention now to that passage of God's holy word in the Psalm 11. We read from the Psalm 11, and this evening I want to think about a very solemn text that is before us, the Psalm 11 and the verse 6. As we come to this evening hour of gospel worship and praise to the almighty God of heaven and earth, we are faced with the fact of God's everlasting wrath in this psalm. It is a very short psalm, but it is a psalm that speaks of the portion of the wicked and the righteous. Of course, the righteous, not righteous in and of themselves, but those who are made righteous through the righteousness that is, through God's dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is both the just and the justifier of him. God justifies the ungodly. Sinners are saved by the death, the obedience, and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ have this wonderful assurance that they shall not see the wrath of God. But he that believeth not, the Lord Jesus Christ said, the wrath of God abides on him. He that believeth not the Son, the wrath of God abides on such a one. Now Psalm 11, we want to consider the verse 6 with the Lord's help, and then we want with the Lord's help there to go to First John chapter 2, that second portion of the reading of God's word. First of all, the verse 6 of the Psalm 11. But I'll read from the verse 1 once again. The psalmist by the Spirit says, In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul? And here speaking to the enemy, flees a bird to your mountain. Well, because the psalmist has trusted in the Lord. The Lord is his strength, his help, his shield, his buckler. 
For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. The upright in heart, by the way, are those who trust in the Lord, who believe in God, who know and understand and receive that truth that God has declared that they are sinners. And the only way they could ever be made right is by God. That is the upright in heart. If the foundation be destroyed, verse 3, what can the righteous do? If that foundation, that God is just, that God is holy, if that be destroyed, and the fool has already said, we know in Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It's a heart problem. It's not a head problem. It's not... An intellectual thing. The fool is said in his heart, there is no God. There's no such thing that the Bible makes very clear as a true atheist. Did you know that? Romans chapter 1 tells us that God has manifested, he has shown to sinners that he is. How has he shown that he is? By the things that he has made, Paul tells us. The invisible attributes reveal that God is. The heavens and the earth, Psalm 19, declare the glory of God. Day unto day, night unto night, they utter speech. The trees are shouting out. The plants, the wilderness, the skies, the mountains, all of these things are screaming out that there is a God in heaven. But the fool has said in his heart, he doesn't want to believe in a God. Because he does not want to be accountable and answerable to a holy God. Now notice, as we come to the verse 4, and it's coming to that verse 6, we want to consider this evening, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men, The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Now notice, here is the portion of the wicked, or the unbelieving. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Now this deals a death blow to those who say God will not judge sin. We read here of a terrible tempest. We read of an awful day of judgment when God will judge the unbelieving, the unrighteous, the unholy man. Why? Because God is a just God. But the Lord is also a merciful God. And that mercy is only in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one way of mercy, and that is through His dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God simply cannot overlook sin, my dear friends. He cannot overlook sin. What the Lord Jesus Christ did Father, Son, 
in his great and infinite mercy, is he predetermined before the foundation of the world that sinners should be saved by God's way. And that way is his dear son. That his son would come into this world. He is styled as the last Adam. Death came through one man. And that is Adam. And sin and death has spread to all men. And all have sinned. That's why you die. That's why I die. But my friends, that is not the end of the story. If only it were death. I want to speak upon a subject that is not easy to speak upon here this evening, that brings great pain to my soul, that does not give me pleasure in speaking about. I want to speak about what verse 6 here addresses us with, that everlasting destruction of the Lord. I do not often preach on the subject of hell. If you are visiting here tonight, this is not my hobby horse, let me assure you. But it is not a subject that I have liberty to neglect in the preaching of God's word. But again, I want to emphasize this is not something I make a regular practice of, but it is certainly part of my responsibility to preach the whole counsel of God. And I want to address with as great a tenderness as I can address your soul tonight on this solemn matter of everlasting destruction, of hell. I must, before I give you any good news tonight, I must give the bad news. And the bad news is this, friends, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, that is the bad news. So much of what goes on in churches today, so much of what preachers spout out of their little mouths is utter nonsense. We must declare the whole counsel of God. And the counsel of God, what God declares, is that he looks down from heaven. You can read the Psalm 12 that as God looks down from heaven, he sees that there are none righteous. No, not one. We read that in the Psalm 14. We read it. It is all over the Psalms that man has sinned and abandoned his creator. But here we have it. Upon the wicked, he shall rain snares. Now, I believe that this evening the Lord has impressed this subject upon my soul and it's not easy to bring this verse to you and to preach upon this subject. To preach upon this subject here is very difficult because just to contemplate the end of the damned right now, you can't hear them, but they have passed from this life into a lost eternity. You cannot hear their cries, their screams in that place of anguish. But my dear Lord and Savior says, their cry goes up forever and forever and forever. And there is no rest for the wicked. Even gentle Lord Jesus 
It is said that he spoke more of hell than he did of heaven. Did you know that? It's a solemn subject, and it therefore is not one that we can afford to neglect. I would pretend to be wiser than God and wiser than the Lord Jesus Christ to neglect this subject, uh, to pretend to be more sensitive and sensible than our Savior, more refined than the Lord Jesus. I am not more refined than the Lord Jesus. Friends, First of all, let me begin by saying, as we read here, this is the portion of their cup. In other words, this is what their deserving is. This is their portion. You've, you've heard people say, well, that's your lot. This is, as far as God is concerned, this is man's just desert. He is receiving what he justly deserves. Now you say, well, hold on a minute. This seems rather unfair. Yes, but you know, look look at the psalm with me. Look at verse 4. You and I, where are we? We're in a world full of wickedness and so many evils going on all around us. Mothers putting to death their babies, the safest place of a child ought to be in its mother's womb. But it's not today. It's perhaps one of the most unsafe places for a child to be. We speak about refinement. We speak about humanity. We speak about the world getting better. Look at the wars and the rumors of wars. Look at the violence. Look at the crimes being perpetrated upon humanity. You and I here upon this earth. But notice verse 4. Where is God? The Lord is in his holy temple. You see, that makes all the difference, doesn't it? Where God is, God is holy. And he can do no wrong. God is just. And he is in his holy temple. And where is his temple? It is in heaven. And that's one thing we need to grasp, my dear friends. God is cannot countenance sin. What kind of a God do you want? You want a God that is accommodating to sin? I don't want a God that's accommodating to sin, do you? So there's not going to be anybody there, you say. Well, no. Not if it weren't for God's mercy. But you must see that God is holy, high in the heavens. But what is the way of salvation? Well, we'll come to that. Look at the text here. God is holy in his temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold the eyelids try. His eyelids try the children of men. God tries the men. The the word there literally in the Hebrew is to test, to examine, to scrutinize. The epistle to the Hebrews tells us that he is a discerner of the intents and the thoughts of the heart. In that oldest psalm, the Psalm 90, we read that even our secret sins, 
are before him in the light of his countenance. There's not a thing in your life, in my life, that God does not know about. Let's just turn there, Psalm 90. It is that older psalm, the psalm of Moses, probably written in the wilderness as Moses is seeing people. How many people perished in the wilderness? Well, over 660,000 Hebrew men above age 21 never made it to the promised land. You see, God is holy. These people rebelled against God and God said that these men would not see the promised land if they disobeyed and they grumbled and they groaned against Moses and against Joshua and the servants of God. And because God is true to his word, friends, they didn't see the promised land and they perished. That entire generation perished in the wilderness. Now notice Psalm 90. We read here of man and we read verse 8. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. All of our sins are naked and opened before the eyes of Almighty God. The difference, you see, between the Christian and the unbeliever is that, as you notice, fools make a mock at sin. Yes, that's what they do. What does that mean? That means they treat sin lightly. They do not fear God. They make a mock at sin. It's a terrible thing to do so, friends. Fools make a mock at sin. And they imagine that God is like them. They imagine that God is not holy and that God somehow is indifferent to sin. And loving this world is okay. And not loving God with all your heart doesn't matter. Now, friends, the only person that has ever loved God with all of his heart, his soul, his mind, is God the Son. He could say, I always do those things which please my Father. We thank the Lord that one did come into this world who was holy, who was harmless, who was undefiled, who was completely separate from sinners and lived the life that we haven't lived, but died in the place of all who believe upon him. Yes, while the fool is said in his heart, he, he, he refuses God, he treats sin lightly. But God, notice in this psalm here, Psalm 11, Upon the wicked shall he rain snares and fire and brimstone and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Now I'll remind you, friends, that this is forever and forever. People want to live in this world for themselves. People want to not live for God. That's the unconverted heart. But Jesus Christ has come to give life to his people. And his life, that life is not found in satisfaction of the things of this world, 
But in knowing God and knowing his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we read in John 17, 3, and he says he is praying there, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That is life, to know God now. When you're saved, God becomes your portion. God becomes your portion and your eternal portion. But here is the portion of the wicked. It shall be everlasting wrath, because God is a God of justice. And a man living as if there is no God, and living as if there is no accountability, must never forget that God sees everything, even our secret sins. As we have read there from Psalm 90 in the verse 8, every sin is seen before Almighty God. Every sin. And what awaits the lost is dreadfully unspeakable. And it's a subject, therefore, that I approach with great fear and trepidation here this evening. Now, what is important is the truth. God, notice there, is in his holy temple. We think about God in his holy temple. The Bible says he is of pure eyes, although on the one hand the scripture says he is of pure eyes to behold iniquity. That simply means that he cannot tolerate sin. He is of pure eyes than to behold iniquity. That's why he said to Moses, Moses, no man can see me and live. Why? Because God is sublimely holy, impeccably holy. In fact, we read that he is glorious in holiness. The angels that have never sinned, we read in Isaiah, cover their faces day and night. And they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy Father, Holy Son, and Holy Spirit. Not that God is three times holy. You cannot improve upon holiness. But we think of the Godhead. That God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is infinitely holy, beyond our comprehension. And God, in order, if he were to let any man into heaven, he would impugn his justice. He would impugn his holiness. He would cease to be holy. And do you want a God like that? You know, some people say, well, I want a God that... Let him deal with the Hitlers and the Mussolinis and all the really bad people in this world. And they say something like this, well, if I was God, I would let such and such people in. I would excuse this. And sometimes you hear people say, well, my God is not like that. Well, my friend, without being rude and without being crass, I really don't care what your God is like or what my God is like, the God of our imagination. But we want the God of the Bible, don't we? The God of truth. And God is of purer eyes that he cannot behold iniquity. 
and he judges sin. Let me say, friends, God has his perfect record books. And we are told in the book of the Revelation that he shall one day, we will all stand before the great judgment throne of Almighty God. And we read there that men shall be judged according to their works or their deeds. And imagine that, if God were to judge every man according to their deeds. And what is the result? All except were written in the Lamb's Book of Life, a cast into the eternal lake of fire. Every single one of them. But before that, there's another book opened up. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And all whose names are written in that book go to heaven. And they enjoy God forever and forever. Proverbs 14, 9, as I said, fools make a mock at sin. But amongst the righteous there is favor. Who are the righteous? Them that trust in the righteousness of God's dear Son. Do you know that a, a study some years ago was made, a, an inquiry, you know, they have these questionnaires, and it was a questionnaire on some university campus. And the question was asked some of the university students, which is the worst of two situations? A guilty person being unpunished. Let me repeat that. A guilty person being unpunished. Or an innocent person being punished. And the, you know what the answer is quite striking. You might think, well, that's a strange question to ask anyway. I don't think it's a strange question, and I can explain now why. Well, the, the answer was that most people gave, they said that it's worse if an innocent person is punished. 93% said that. And uh, the 7% said, well, it's worse if a guilty person goes unpunished. But here's the fact. Everybody's guilty. Everybody is guilty. Everybody in this entire world, my friend, is guilty. You see, it's, it's, in some ways, it's a, it's a ridiculous poll if you think about it. But it, it just shows, doesn't it, the imbalance of the morals of this world that we live in. People think that they're innocent. There's nobody that is innocent, really, before God. Because God's standards are completely different to your standards and my standards. God is holy. And my friends, in God's eyes, there is nobody that is innocent. But the slightest infraction, you see, that's how holy God is. The slightest infraction against his law demands justice. You might even, as some people, they look at that first sin in the garden. And they say, well, is that all Adam did? Is that all Eve did? They took of that forbidden fruit, or they just took that fruit. 
My friend, if you were to study very clearly all that was behind that sin, you'll be amazed. Satan tempted them and said, you know what? Eve, you eat of that fruit and you'll be as God's. He was feeding her pride. God is withholding from you all your wonderful potential. Don't you realize how good you are, Eve? Don't you realize you deserve this? But you know that's how we live our lives, quite frankly. It's called the pride of life. We live as if there is no God, and as if God is lying to us in his word. Has God said that he is holy? Is God really this holy? Is God really this just? Has God really done those things to the enemies of Israel and to the enemies? Is God really going to send people to? Yes, because God is holy. Is just. And men live wickedly in pride in their life. When you look at the average family, why are there arguments? Why are there fights? Why are there problems in the world? The fundamental reason is pride. Pride is at the heart of every sin, it is at the root of every sin. Somebody does something wrong. Somebody comes alongside them and gently tries to correct them. But all of a sudden they get as prickly as a porcupine and you can't get near that person. And it it erupts, it explodes. Why? Because of pride. People don't want to go to church. I don't want to be told to go to church. I don't want to grovel before God. Who is God? that I should obey him? Who is Christ that he should tell me how to live? My friend, he made the world. The Bible says the world was made by him and for him. It says in John, if you just turn there, John chapter 1, notice with me, as he came into the world, what are we told? We're told that the world knew him not. Knew him not. As he came into the world, he even came to his own people. And the Jews had the scriptures, and the scriptures had continually been telling them that the Savior would come into the world. And we're told in the verse 10, he was in the world. The world was made by him. And the world knew him not. Why? Because this one who made the world had to be born as a baby and had to come under the law of God. Galatians 4, 4 says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman made under the law. You look at verse 14, look at verse 1, in the beginning was the word, notice there. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In verse 14, and the word became what? Flesh. And dwelt among us. 
And then when he dwelt amongst men and he spoke like no other man could ever speak and as he taught the elders and as he taught the scribes and as he did many mighty wonders and acts, men still denied him. And so people will say today, you know, if they could see the real Jesus, they would only bow to him and worship him. No, but when they saw the real Jesus, what did they do? They put him to death. Man does not love God. You meet people like this, they say, I've always loved God ever since I was a baby. That's nonsense. That's rubbish. The scriptures say foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Now, not only foolishness, but David says, I was conceived in sin, in iniquity. He came forth from the womb speaking lies. And when God comes into the world, does the world acknowledge him? No. He came into the world, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, that's his own people, and his own received him not. And then we read, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, a man has to be born again. God has to open up his eyes and say, look, this is what you are. And this is who I am. I am a holy God. And I have to send my son into this world to live the life that sinners have never lived. Why did he come into this world? He came to be born to die. That's why he came. He came to be born to die. He didn't come to show people simply a good example of what it is to be a good person. It is indisputable that Jesus Christ was a wonderfully perfect person. There was no other man like him. But that is not essentially why he came. He tells us why he came. Even the Son of Man who came to give his life as a ransom for many. And the many are in that Lamb's book of life. And they humbly come and they say, Lord, I have sinned. I have sinned against my God. I have lived for myself. I have lived for this world. But I have come to know the Lord Jesus through the Word of God. Now I want to take you to 1 John because we're reminded here of many things. We have read the Old Testament and the warning there in that Psalm 11 of the portion, the portion of the wicked, that there shall be an everlasting torment and there shall be no escape of that. It is everlasting damnation that will never, never end. The smoke of their torments ascends forever and ever and they shall never have any rest. Now notice with me as we come here to First John. Chapter 2, and it's those words that we read much earlier or later in that passage. First John, chapter 2, and we read concerning, and let me say, I need to say this, those of you who are not saved. Let me firstly say that First John 
is written to Christians. That is absolutely vital that I get that out right now. This is not a gospel, okay? 1 John, 2 John, 3 John are written, and you'll read many times, my little children. That's vital we understand that, but I can still use this text to tell you and to show you of what we are not to love. We have spoken of how the wicked, they, they hate God. And they don't live for God. And what their portion is. But I want you to notice in the verse 16. I read from verse 15. John is writing to Christians, my unbelieving friends. And if you can get this, you've understood really what God thinks of this present world and what's going to happen to it. And what living for this world will ultimately culminate in, what it will result in. I don't know how else to make it any more plain to you. He says in verse 15, love not the world. He's not speaking here about the atmosphere. He's not speaking about the Himalayas and the Rocky Mountains and the beautiful landscapes that God has made in the heavens and the earth. We, we love God's creation. But here we are speaking, John is speaking about the world's mindset, the world's ethos, the world's way of thinking, the world's value systems, the way the world thinks, the heart of the world. And we see here three enemies that are in the world to the soul. Notice with me. He says, love not the world neither the things that are in the world. And you just stop and think for a moment, friends. What was it? It was a little fruit, for goodness sake, in the garden that Adam and Eve had their eyes upon, or at least Eve and Satan, tempting Eve, if you can have just this, you'll be happy even things in the world. I warned Christians this morning when it came to David's adultery, we must never believe the lie, if only I could have this, it would make me happy. If only I could have this. David had how many wives? Many wives by that time, and yet he goes and steals another man's wife. There again, it's covetousness, isn't it? Nothing could satisfy David's soul at that point. He was so backslidden, so far from his God. And this is a warning to Christians. And you unbelievers need to see it. If it is the general tenor of a Christian's life that he loves the world, and he hankers after this world, just like Lot's wife. Remember how she looked back as it were, with a twinkle in her eye to Sodom. And what happened? What happened? The Lord turned her to a pillar of salt. And remember what the Lord Jesus said? Remember Lot's wife. You see, Lot's wife, her heart was still in Sodom. Although she had escaped the city, 
and she was now in the plains. It was there that she was destroyed. And John says here, love not the world. Why are we not to love the world? Well, firstly, friends, the world is a dangerous place. I'm not saying that things are always dangerous. But it's those things presenting to us the idea that we can be satisfied with the things of the world. Even legitimate things. Perfectly legitimate things. Your garden. You can make your garden. You can make your house. You can make your car. You can make your children. You can make education. You can make your career. You can make all of these things your God. As if there is no God but you. You see, you become the little God of your life. You become the center and focus of all your living. And not God. And that's what happened in the garden. They lost their first love. And my friend, you see, if God... And this is what God does when he saves somebody. He makes us to see that we were living for this world and all that, that it was offering and putting on offer for us and telling us that we could be happy in the world and satisfied. We found the world was empty. That's how the Lord Jesus met that woman at the well. She had had five husbands already. Five! And he said to her, he said, the man you have now is not even your husband. She was living a discontented life. Not happy in God, the things that God had provided. But going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And my friend, that life shows that God is not present in that person's thoughts, in that person's life. There's never really been any turning from this present world to God. You see, when God saves you, as we were saying in fellowship this afternoon, he doesn't only save you from the wrath that is to come, but he, he saves you from a, a life of living for yourself, now to live to God. Paul says we, we no longer live to ourselves, but we live unto God. And God becomes your life. Yes, you can still have things, but things don't have you, friend. And thank God for that. Isn't it wonderful to be, those of you who are Christians, to be set free? But things don't have a grip on you anymore. You have control again in your life. And the Holy Spirit teaches self-control. Contentment. Joy and peace. The kingdom of heaven, as Paul said, is not eating and drinking. The joy and peace in the Lord to be liberated from all that the world says. If you have this and you have that, you'll be happy. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, you see, the love of the Father is not in him. This man, he can't love two masters. He can't serve God and mammon. He can't serve riches and pleasure and God. One has to be the God. 
You know that parable, don't you, that the Lord Jesus Christ gives in Matthew 13, where he he speaks of the seed that is, is thrown. Some is thrown by the wayside. There are four different kinds of hearers. The seed that is fallen by the wayside. He says, this is he that hears the word of God. And as if, he says, it's like the birds of the air come and they steal the seed. It it doesn't go in the ground. He said, this is he that hears the word of God. And quickly, he's a very light, superficial hearer. He leaves the evening service. And he just can't even remember what was the preacher saying. What was he preaching about? I came to church just to sing a few nice hymns and I'm getting all this stuff about sin. He doesn't hear it. And then there's the seed that falls among thorns. He says that, that's the person that is hearing the word of God, but he still has the riches of this world in his life. And those riches choke the word. And then there's the seed that is sown among the stony places. And the sun comes down and he says that represents trials and difficulties. This is the person that says, wonderful, Jesus is my savior. That's wonderful, I'm going to heaven now. I can live my life how I like, it's beautiful news. And I just add him to my life. But when the sun comes down and the trials and the winds of this life come, that seed perishes. Why? Because he says it has no root. There are many that hear that way. All they want is a religion that makes them feel good. They don't want God. You see, and in trial, they don't have God. They don't have peace. They don't have joy. Do you know that for the Christian, some of the best times is when he goes through difficulty and he knows God's presence amidst the trial, amidst the difficulty. And he knows God is there. And he finds God to be his strength and his help. And when he goes through those difficult times, he digs deeper in the word of God and he finds God is so wonderful and so great. That's the Christian. For the person that is superficial, he falls away. That's the difference. And so here, look at the text. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You see, what does the world offer? It says, give me your eyes. You say, here are my eyes. And you sin with your eyes. You go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And when you get things, it's the pride of life. Everybody says, oh, you've done so well. What a wonderful person you are. And you want to feed that ego. You want to feed that pride more and more and more and more. What foolishness. The pride of life. It's not of the Father. 
That's Satan, isn't it? Why did Satan lose his place in heaven? Well, we're told. He said, I shall be as the Most High. I'll be admired. I'll be one to be praised. And that's really what we want in this life, sadly. That's how we're born. You know, young people, let me say, so many young people, you know this, they have these shows on today. You speak to young people, you ask them today, it's, it's very common, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to be famous. I want to be somebody. But that's, that's, that's very shallow, isn't it? You're living for self, to feed ego, to feed your life. But friends, that's not life. And it ends in death. Because the eye is never filled, the ear, the eye is never satisfied, the ear is never filled. Now notice, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. And so what is the end? Well, we come back there to Psalm, don't we, to Psalm 11, and the verse 6. Can you blame God? Friend, let me ask you a question. Can you blame God for giving such a portion to people in this life who all they live for is themselves. But when God saves you, friend, let me say what he, he does is he shows you the emptiness of your life without him. And he gives fullness of life in his dear son. What did the Lord Jesus say? He said, I am come that they may have life, and more abundantly. Life is in dear God's Son, and not just life here, but life beyond and thereafter. So that after our bodies go to the grave, he said, marvel not, the hour is coming, in which all that are in the grave shall come out. Some to the resurrection of the just, some to the resurrection of the unjust, to eternal perdition and damnation. What an awful plight. Friends, what a blessed thing it is to live for God now and to be set free from this world and to live to Jesus Christ and to know that after you die, You'll be like him. For the scriptures say in 1 John 3, we should be like him. And we shall see him as he is. And if you're Christ, won't you thank him? Won't you want to meet him with open arms and say, thank you, Lord, for coming into this world, and living for me, and then dying for me to take me to heaven? That's the portion of the just. But the unjust, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. And I'm not going to answer to him. You will. And it won't be long. Seek the Lord, my friend. You've heard his word. Seek him while he may be found, because that's what the word of God says. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man's deeds.
And God says, and I will have mercy, for my ways are not your ways. Isn't that wonderful? We'd have sent such sinners as we to hell a long time ago. But God is rich in mercy, and we know he will call his people from the four corners of this earth, and they will find life in the Son. Amen.